This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. What's the difference between a vision and a hallucination? The answer is how many people see it. A vision seen only by one person can't drive change. It's just a hallucination. How does a vision spread and create impact? It's shared, not just shouted from a mountaintop in the hope that willing ears recognize its brilliance, snap to attention, march forth on the mission. It's spread through diligent, structured, persistent work, focused on creating alignment, translating vision to outcomes, and outcomes to the work that achieves them. Some organizations have built a rigorous process around these goals. The widespread use of OKRs, objectives, and key results at Google is a significant example. Leaders at Amazon craft rich six-page memos that describe their goals and the plans to deliver in narrative detail. Today, we'll learn about the practice employed by Salesforce.com from someone who lives this practice day to day. From Mark Benioff's blog on Salesforce.com, he says, Over the past 21 years, we've grown Salesforce from a four-person company to one with more than 50,000 employees. I've always thought our biggest strength is how we've maintained alignment while growing quickly. Success depends on constant communication and complete alignment. We've been able to achieve both with the help of a management process I developed a number of years ago called the V2MOM, which stands for Vision, Values, Methods, obstacles, and measures. Salesforce acquired the API management and integration software company MuleSoft in May of 2018. This gave the associates of MuleSoft the opportunity and the challenge of adapting to a new company culture and way of working. We're delighted to have a guest who can share his personal experience with this transition. Shad Imam, welcome to Agile Storytime. Please tell us about your role at the MuleSoft division of Salesforce.com. Sure, David. It's uh, nice to be here. My name is Shad Imam. I am the Senior Director of Solutions Engineering for MuleSoft, which is a division of Salesforce supporting the public sector practice based here in Northern Virginia. So excited to be here. I've been with MuleSoft five years. I tell people I came on prior to the acquisition, but post IPO. So I was in that darling phase before the acquisition happened uh, just about five years ago. Um, And I've had the honor and privilege of leading a really stellar team of solutions engineers and seeing different ways in which the business has grown over time. When MuleSoft was acquired, you went from an organization that had one way of setting vision and goals to an organization with an intensely rigorous approach to these things. Talk about that transition and what it meant for you and for your teams? I love the question. It gives me a chance to kind of reflect on where, how far we've come as an organization. You know, when I first started, David, we had the founder of the company, the CEO of the company, they would oftentimes say, this is a vision, guys. This is our goal. Our goal is half a billion dollars or our goal is a billion dollars or whatever it is, right? They're, they're going to set some goal out. And along with that, we had uh, we did have some pretty visionary technologists that said the way we can do it is by cultivating this type of messaging. And what they did was every new hire that came into the organization was required to go through a kickstart type of program for an entire week on campus in San Diego to actually get indoctrinated with that messaging. And that was how you knew what the goals were of the organization. You do that once. And so 
it's great the first year, right? But then the next year, the following, year, there's almost like a refresher that needs to happen. So what, what we found ourselves happening was, hey, we need to we need to tweak that messaging. We've got to figure out another goal or another way that we can motivate the troops. And it wasn't something you could look at every single quarter to say, hey, how do we perform against that? If, if we're going to lead with transforming organizations, making them what we called API-led connectivity, ALC. API-led connectivity was a big, huge mm -hmm. term a few years ago for MuleSoft. How do you measure against that? Hmm. Right. That was sometimes the gap. So everybody was indoctrinated with the same messaging, but not necessarily with the same measures around how, how effective is that messaging happening. When we were acquired by Salesforce, they have a very regimented program. It's really a document, I would say. At, the, at its core, the V2MOM, which every individual is required to publish a V2MOM early in the fiscal year, where they specifically identify, this is my vision. This is These are my values that are going to support that vision. These are the measures and the methods and the obstacles that will be there that I need to be thinking about. What it does, honestly, David, is it gives us individually and collectively as an organization the ability to check ourselves, to know that, hey, are we performing against what we said we were going to perform against? Are we going to really, are we, or do we need to tweak some things along the way? How did that feel when you went through that transition? At first, the culture was, this is, this is really weird. Like, who does this, right? Mm. <laughs> to the point where now, uh, what we've seen after adopting it is not only who does it, is how can I do this in other parts of my life, <laughs> right? Like, I, we, we actually, there's a, a recent um, document that's been going around called the V2Me, which is a V2Mom adapted for an individual. So you have a uh -huh. personal vision. It, again, it makes sense. It's just a way for us to look at our organization and say, hey, what are we looking forward to going into this coming year and beyond? In Salesforce, V2Moms live at all levels of the organization, from the CEO on down. To what extent are your goals and the goals of your teams handed down from on high versus laddered up from the bottom? We oftentimes, at my level, at my kind of, let's just say mid-management level, we're waiting for the higher levels to publish out their V2 models. Oftentimes, we're involved in the process also of understanding what that vision, those goals are going to be, what those methods and metrics are going to be. But when they publish theirs, when Mark Benioff publishes his V2 mom, which then gets published and then the, the chief product officers and the different executive level individuals publish theirs, their organizations inherit that V2 mom. Mm -hmm. I will then, typically, in, in my V2 mom, for instance, I was actually cutting and pasting portions of the America vision for the organization and then adding to it my public sector vision for the organization, right? So it's it's kind of this cascading effect. Now, when it get, by the time it gets down to my individual solutions engineers, they've now inherited the vision for the company, the vision for the organization, the vision for their practice, and then they're adding their own vision. So, so it's all in alignment, right? It really forces you to think along. I may have goals in my life, but how do these goals align to what the organization is trying to do? How do you keep track of how you're doing? There's a process in place. So every quarter we're checking in against those goals to say, hey, am I behind? Nobody's grading us against it except ourselves and our, and our team saying, hey, you know what? I fell behind on hiring this quarter. I need to pick that up next quarter. Or I fell behind on my wellness goal. And I need to, I need to really look at my own wellness first. The fact that it's a living document that's there, accessible, and updated at least once a quarter, if not if not two or three times a quarter, that's really what, what makes it, I think, revolutionary in terms of how an organization is aligning against its corporate objectives. 
And everyone's V2 moms are visible to everyone else in the company, regardless of your position in the organization. Correct. So I can go into my chief product officer's V2 mom and say, okay, what are the goals that matter to him? What are the measures that matter to him? What are the measures and, and metrics for the marketing organization? Right. And it's important for alignment. I'm going to be successful when I help others be successful. Let me understand what makes them successful and their role and then work accordingly. Shad, to bring this to life, can you give us an example of a V2 mom that applies to you and your organization? My solutions engineering team's vision was to make public sector the number one organization within the entire theater. So that's one type of vision. Now, how do I do that? That's where some of the values come in. We're going to be based on radical candor, on have excellence, customer firstness. We're going to make sure that that we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to make it awesome. We're, you know, we've got these different values that we're going to, to really hold ourselves to. So in mind, I've got some specific verbiage around how we're going to run our plays, what's going to make us successful. I'd actually, over the last few years, want to make sure we addressed COVID as part of the V2Mom because that was a game changer for us. There were a lot of different moving parts that needed to be adjusted. And in fact, uh, for the first time that I remember, we actually did a mid-year adjustment because of COVID to our V2Mom. Normally, the V2Mom was something that did at the beginning of the year and you checked in every quarter. Well, it turned out COVID happened and we, we've got to reshift our priorities now. So those are some of the values that we had, including building trust, having a winning culture, really contributing to the success as a team. And against that, then we have methods and measures. I'm part of a sales organization, so it was a sales target type of it. You get into the methods and measures, and now we're talking about things like leadership. I want to make sure that my leadership scores on surveys are at 85% or higher, or 90% or higher, for instance. I want to make sure that I'm exceeding my sales target numbers uh, from a selling perspective. I want to make sure that I'm doing more enterprise deals that are larger deals in scope. So I'm going to set a number and say, hey, let me, let me make sure I have 10 deals that are over X amount of dollars, for instance, for this year. I want to make sure I hire the right people. So that could be a, a category of methods and measures is around people hiring the right ones, making sure that there's voluntary attrition below a certain percent. It sounds like the methods and the measures are often tied together. 100%. So I'll give you an example. People is a good one. So I have a measure online that's called people. Hiring is one of our biggest priorities. So the method is we operate at scale by recruiting and hiring and retaining the best pre-sales engineers that we can. Now, how am I going to measure that? Well, I'm going to, number one, I'm going to hire the right leaders. So I've got a target of how many leaders I need to hire. I want to make sure that I've got a target for how many solutions engineers I need under each of those leaders. I want to make sure my, in my case, voluntary attrition is below 10%, let's say. And then I want to make sure that every SE is is developing. So there's certifications that they're getting. So those are, those are examples of some measures that we have that fall within that method. So we have vision, values, methods, and measures. What about the O? For me, actually, the most thought-provoking part of this exercise is the obstacles. Because I think we don't spend enough time as an organization really thinking about what's gonna hinder us from achieving those goals. And, and we're very quick sometimes to blame other organizations, to say, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't have his act together or they didn't have their act together or what have you. But if we really sit back and think about it, what are some of the obstacles? I identified in mind that COVID and market uncertainty was a huge obstacle. You know, I'm servicing a public sector environment that sometimes we're running on continuing resolutions. We don't always have, you know, the budget that we need. Money can get redirected into other things. Though There's uncertainty there that I need to be able to at least think about. Even if I don't have a mitigating factor for it yet, I, need, I want to document it. I want to capture right. it here. Mergers, actually, is a good one is MuleSoft to Salesforce, the distraction from all the merger and acquisition activity. We want to make sure that, hey, there's going to be rumors out here about organizational changes and all that stuff. How do we manage some of that? Let's make sure that we don't get bogged down in those obstacles. If you would, reflect on the value of this whole approach to goal setting and alignment. 
to me, the whole exercise is really one in which you're taking from your leaders, you're applying your own thought processes, and you're really, really doubling down on what is it going to make me or my organization successful this year. Sales engineering is a bridge between sales and product. In some sense, it's the creamy filling in the Oreo cookie that glues those two functions together. How do you align your goals with the goals of those parts of the organization? I oftentimes at my level, I will look at the sales organization and say, okay, what are their goals? Those goals are married to my goals. One aspect I didn't talk to you about in my own B2Mom though, is the product, especially the product deficiencies, I would say, or the enhancements that need to be made, the obstacles that could come up. Let me understand what their priorities are and where I can help, right? Not just where I can throw shade, but where, where can I help? product, get the information it needs for market penetrability and things like that. So what I'm doing at my level in the solution engineering world is looking at the sales organization and the product organization and saying, okay, I need to be able to to morph something in my world that will address both because my, my solutions engineers kind of straddle both worlds. And when the goals don't align, what happens then? We have had many conversations where we've had to go to executives on both sides and say, hey, this was not in the V2 mom, right? And, and use it as kind of a checklist to say, guys, we prioritize this earlier this year. If this is no longer a priority, that's okay, but that's where it's going to require a stakeholder engagement. The one great part about this whole process is it's almost like a hackathon. It's almost like there's an open period where you can contribute your feedback to it. Product will have theirs. They'll get feedback around what are the prioritizations for this year. Sales will have theirs. Mark Benioff opens his up and says, all right, guys, for this year, hack away. How many of those changes actually make it into the final draft? At the end of the day, the person who's owning the V2Mom, they're the one that own it. So they're, they're going to take in what, what they need from that. And I do that with my team. So I will open mine up and say, guys, did I miss anything? Are there other things that should be included here? It's an iterative process over time. It seems inevitable that this organic process is going to yield some goals that are incompatible or inconsistent. How are those things resolved? So typically senior management is the one that's saying, hey, we've got some conflict here. We need to figure this piece out probably before it's published into V2Mom. Because there's multiple higher levels that are looking at each of these, in some ways, the fact that it's cascaded down helps prevent things like that. But specifically when it comes to, hey, we need these features in order for my business to grow, but I'm not able to deliver those features for your business to grow. Okay, let's have a conversation prior to anything getting documented into V2Mom and see what what actually makes sense. To what extent are these goals considered to be aspirational or stretch goals? I'm trying to think back to years where I was able to get to 100% of all my goals. Typically, it doesn't happen. There's usually something that either falls by the wayside or is, is reprioritized, or just I need to focus my energies in a certain other area for over a period of time. So it is aspirational. I put more in there than I think we'll actually be able to do, but that's okay because it gives me and my teams the ability to say, okay, this is what we're working towards. One of the examples I'll share with you is, you know, we didn't have a standard operating model for how to engage certain teams documented. And so I put it in there knowing full well that what this will do, even if we don't come up with a document, it will force the parties that need to talk to talk. And so at the end of the year, we may not have a document, but we'll have collaboration that we didn't have before. So what was it like the first time you went through this process? I got to be honest, it was unnerving, right? Uh, We had not done something like this where we had documented. I had not done anything like this in my business career where I had to document everything I was thinking about 
And you're telling me the second be held against me at the end of the year, right? So it's unnerving to do this. It's, it's unnerving because in some ways you feel like you're inheriting somebody else's vision. You've got to work with that. And in some ways you've, you're also worried about, hey, what if I what if I don't achieve these goals? And I think what the V2 mom does, David, it gives you the ability to, even if you're not achieving your goals, you're not failing. It's unnerving the first time. It, it feels like a, a little bit of fluff in, initially, like, oh, everybody's going to say they want to be the best SE organization ever, right? That's not really a, a goal per se or, or a realistic one. But I think what it does is it breaks that goal in, into parts that we can actually work with and work against. To me, that's really the value of it. When you've been asked to inherit things that you're not aligned with, how has that gotten sorted out? really depends on what it is. If it's stuff that I'm inheriting from my direct boss, then it's, it's usually like, let me understand what you mean here. Give, give me some clarity around this because my organization doesn't work this way. Selling to the US government, you can't do that in a matter of weeks or months. It takes years. So that may change the timelines for some of the things that you're looking for. I think where it really becomes immovable is when there's a director from on high, like we're going to release a new product. That, well, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, too bad, right? We're going to do that anyway. Executives are going to set certain goals that we will have to kind of rally behind and just get behind. But when it comes to an individual, individuals, my marching orders, I can usually work with my manager and my leadership team and say, hey, this is why these marching orders may or may not make sense in my context, but I understand where you're going with this. So what it does more than anything is it fosters conversations. It fosters a conversation and that conversation I've noticed in general breeds alignment because oftentimes what's happening is what people have in their minds, they don't match up. But until you have a document in place, until you have something in place that you can look at and say, hey, this is what I was thinking. What do you think? Now that fosters a conversation, that conversation, in essence, will breed some alignment. In the absence of those conversations, unfortunately, that's where goals become very misaligned. Chad, you told me that your organization is about 40 people organized into five teams. So how long is your V2 mom for your group? It really depends on how much you put in there, how many methods you have and how many measures you have. I'd say between four and five pages is probably accurate. And how many measures and how many methods would be included in that? I think around four to five methods, and then each one probably with three to four measures underneath. You end up with kind of about 20-ish or so targets that you're really looking at. I want to accomplish this. And I think that's doable per quarter too, right? Is there a linkage between your V2 mom and your performance evaluation or your compensation, say your bonus? So there isn't. And I think that's somewhat purposeful in that you want a person to be able to put on creatively what they can accomplish without necessarily feeling like they're going to dock me for this at the end of the year. Uh, if I don't accomplish these things, think of the V2 mom as something that the organization needs to succeed and move forward. Uh, and the individual within that organization will need to feel like they're successful. When it comes to performance evaluations, sometimes we'll have the managers and go and check in with the with the individuals and say, hey, you had mentioned this on your V2 mom about getting certifications, getting this. I know we talked about it. They use it as a guide for conversation, right? It can guide the conversation towards what are the things that quarter after quarter the SC would like to accomplish. Finally, Shed, what advice would you give to someone who's considering adopting this way of setting goals? I would tell them, number one, it takes time. It's not something that is a, hey, I've got to get this done in the next five minutes. And so let me let me knock it out. I have found it to be most effective when I've dedicated an hour, maybe two, to just thinking about my business, thinking about my people. And I think that's oftentimes what we miss in our organizations is we just don't take the time to think, to just sit down and reflect and really move forward, but with reflection. The V2 mom is it's kind of a forced exercise in that if you take it that way. If you're not just doing a cut and paste job from somebody else and saying, okay, I want this, 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 and now I'm done, I'll publish it. So it really be thoughtful. It's a very powerful tool for an individual. It's a very powerful tool for an organization for alignment. When we have intentionality and culture, when we're able to be vulnerable with each other, when we're able to have this consistency, to have this shared vision, 
it really helps to define the culture of an organization. And I think that's what's really important is everybody's aligned towards the same goals. So be thoughtful about it. That being said, don't be regimented in it, right? It is a living document. And so if there are market changes that happen, it's perfectly acceptable to go and say, hey, you know what? My world has changed from six months ago. Or my world has changed even over the last quarter. And I need to rethink about things in terms of resourcing and priorities. Because I think one of the challenges is you put something out on paper and now we have to do this because that's what we said we were going to do. But the world has changed. The market demands have changed. And you want to have a thoughtful conversation with your leaders. For me, the most effective and me too, mom, so the ones that are thoughtful and that foster conversations. Those conversations will then breed that alignment. You used the word vulnerable. That's a value. Say more about that. Millsoft has been very good about this. Sharing radical candor, one of its values is being able to share radical candor. One of its values is also being authentic. And when we were acquired by Salesforce, we found those same values in the ethos of the organization where, yes, we want to challenge people, but we want to do it nicely, kindly, with radical candor. We also need to show that we're vulnerable, that we make mistakes. I'm very open with my team about that. Say, hey, look, guys, I don't have all the answers. I'm here to learn from you all as much as you all are, are here to learn from me. And so let's make this a symbiotic relationship whereby we can be vulnerable with each other. One of the things I, I say is I, I'm not interested in you being authentic. I'm interested in you bringing your authentic self. There's a difference because being to me is passive, but bringing is active. And so yeah. to every interaction, everything we have, I want you to bring your authentic self. So if it means something, of, if it's something of value to you and it means something to you, bring it. That's what's going to help all of us grow and, and be better here. And, and I really want us, all of us to be active actors in trying to promote our values and our systems forward. Shad, thanks so much for sharing your experience. Stay tuned to Agile Storytime for more informative, insightful, and inspiring stories. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com agile.